Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. It says this, And when I forgive whoever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is awesome and true. Lord, we are excited about this new year and just a fresh start and looking forward. Lord, tonight, Lord, as, as we're just the second day, you know, third day into this new year, Lord, I just ask that you would speak to us, give us fresh revelation, uh, just fresh anointing. Lord, get, I pray a fresh anointing for me to present it today. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for your presence. We can sense your presence in here as we worship. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you would speak to all of us, your children, your people. Lord God, all those that are seeking after you. Lord, I pray, help us to not only hear it and receive it, but to apply it to our lives. Holy Spirit, we need your help. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Let me give you a little bit of background about this scripture, because I'm really focusing, God bless you, on the second part of this scripture. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth about a man that they needed to forgive and comfort. This guy, if you looked at it, the letter before was kind of hard. They were talking about this guy that messed up and they disciplined him. Now Paul was telling them, listen, you need to forgive this guy. And so he was saying, look, whenever I forgive anybody, this is one of the main reasons I do it. He said, it's so that Satan will not outsmart us. Then he goes on to say, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. And really that second part of 2 Corinthians is what I want to focus on to set up what I'm talking about tonight. We need to be familiar with Satan's evil schemes and how he tries to trip us up and trap us. You know, you only have to read a few chapters in the Bible to start seeing them. And as I started reading through the Bible again of Monday, reading in Genesis chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1, this is where this came from. I see it, I saw it in both sides. I'm like, man, look at this. And I had notes in my Bible before, but I, but I saw it again. So I want to look at this. And I, the, the title of this message, Watch for the Ways of the Wicked One. I want to look at a couple of ways first tonight of how the enemy tries to trip us, trap us, and get us all caught up in sin. So if you're in Genesis 3, let's look at Genesis 3 now, verses 1 through 7. The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Listen to this and underline this or highlight this. The woman was convinced. She saw that the trees were beautiful and it looked, and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. The first way that we see here right in Genesis 3 is that the enemy will try to convince you to justify sin. That's a powerful statement. It says that the woman was convinced and it was all over after that. The enemy will try to convince us to justify our sin. You see this. He says, surely you will not die. God knows that you will be like him, basically. He says that she was convinced. See, the enemy tries to convince us through deception. He always tries to, to convince us to justify or partake in some kind of sin through deception. His manipulative language and his disguise as a serpent, which the Bible labels as the shrewdest of all creatures, shows him as a master deceiver. 
Satan has various methods of opposing us as God's people, but deception remains among his key strategies. It's through deception. You've heard it probably many times. The enemy don't come knocking on our door with, a, with, with horns and a pitchfork and a pointy tail, right? He deceives us. It's deception. You see how he twisted, and we'll look at that in a minute, uh, what the Lord was saying to convince the, 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 the woman to sin. If the devil can convince you, he got you. Let me say that again. If the devil can convince you, he got you. If he can convince you, just a little bit of this, just a little bit of that. Come on, man, don't be legalistic. Don't do that. He can, if he can convince you, he got you. <laughs> right, brother? He got you. Don't let the enemy convince you that sin is not sin because it is. Let's call a spade a spade. What the Bible deems sin is still sin today. It hasn't changed. God don't work on moving or sliding scales, right? He don't, he don't work on that. What the Bible says is sin, and outright sin is still sin. So don't let the enemy convince you to justify your sin. Now let's look at, look at something else he does, and it's just, just in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, beginning in 1 again. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. <clears throat> she gave birth to Cain. She said, with the Lord's help, I have a, produced a male. Later she gave birth to her brother, his brother, and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the first uh, firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Right here in chapter 3 and 4, the beginning of the Bible, we see the enemy trying to convince the woman to sin, which she did, and in, in turn convinced her husband. And now the second thing is that the enemy waits for the opportunity to accuse, attack, and control us. He looks for an opportunity to accuse, attack, and control us. Notice he's waiting for us to make the wrong decision to sin so he can pounce on us. So you see how he works here. He, he's trying to convince us to justify sin, and then he's waiting. He wants you to take the bait, just like fishing. If y'all are that fish, you give, you put bait on your hook, you cast it, and you hope that the, the fish takes the bait. And when he does, what do you do? You set the hook, right? You set the hook and you reel him in. That's what the enemy does here. You see it in the three chapters 3 and 4. Look at verse 7. If you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. A lot of the time, I hear people, and just recently, this actually just Sunday, I prayed with a brother and he talked about how the enemy was attacking him. But most of the time I find, not all the time, but most of the time I find People say the enemy is attacking them. It's after they've made a decision to give in to sin. They made a decision to, to, to maybe let their guard down, to compromise, give in to sin. And then they're right. The enemy is attacking them because that's what the Bible says. Sin, which the origin of sin is Satan himself, is crouching at the door, waiting for you to give in to sin so he can pounce all over you and start 
attacking, messing you up, and ultimately wants to control you by a sinful lifestyle. I begin to think, and again, just uh, we love watching animal shows at our house. You know, the 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 you know just these um, you know just I would say National Geographic, but it's Animal Planet. All these ones where you have you know the predators and the prey and whatnot. We was watching some the other night uh, with, with uh, as a family, and if you notice. Predators, like big game predators, like the big cats, they'll try to attack a big, strong animal. They'll, they'll actually do it, or they'll go after a big, strong, stout, healthy animal in a herd. But if you watch those shows, they are very seldom successful when they go after the big ones. You ever notice that? They'll, even they showed something like they'll try to take down elephants and these big, but very seldom are they successful at taking on a strong, healthy animal that's inside of a herd. They are highly successful, though, when they wait for one of them to slip up and either lag behind the herd or turn away from the rest of the herd. I remember seeing one one time where there was so much chaos that these, whatever they were, antelope or, I don't know, it might have been buffalo or something even bigger, and these lions were chasing after them, and the herd kind of split up and broke off, and one was lying, and the herd went this way, and a single one went the other way. And guess which one the lions zeroed in on? They were waiting. That's what they do. They run after and wait. They try to confuse and they try to go after the little ones, the young ones, the sick ones. Or they just try to, even a full grown one, if they can break them off from the pack, what they do is they wait for one of them to make a mistake. And that's when they pounce. Are y'all tracking with me? Peter talks about it too. First Peter 5a, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like what? A roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. You get that picture. He's looking, he's not just attacking everybody randomly. I mean, yes, I do. I understand there's warfare and we could be doing good, feeling strong in the enemy. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. But I'm telling you, most of the time, starting in Genesis, and now Peter continues on this thought in the same uh, terminology. You know, you have Genesis talking about it, sin's crouching. Then you got Peter talking about the enemies prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone. He wants to pick someone out that's already given in to sinful pleasure or in, into some form of maybe unforgiveness like, like Paul was, uh, was talking about, or our bitterness or something, so he can jump on us and try to mess with him. So my encouragement to you tonight is don't give him the opportunity. Amen? Look, I know we're not going to be perfect. I know we all mess up. But listen, let's start off this new year. Man, Brandon, why are you coming out hard on about with sin in the first? Listen, listen. Let's start out the new year right, okay? Because I, I find that even sometimes in church, and I've only been in church in, say, 15 and a half years, but you know what? I find sometimes it's the people that have been in church the longest that start letting down their guard. You know, when you first get saved and you're on fire, you're ready to go, you, you're looking behind it for a demon behind every bush. Every, anything that smells, looks, or even comes close to sin, you're not messing with it. But sometimes it's those of us that have been in church a little longer, we get lulled to sleep. And we allow the enemy to convince us, like we talked about to, to, to give into some sin, to do this, to do that. Hey, let's start out the year right. Let's not give the enemy an opportunity to attack us, to accuse us, because the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren, right? Or to try to control us with sinful, uh, uh, sinful ways. Don't give him the opportunity. Look, it, it's awesome. So I'm reading in Genesis, then I'm, I'm reading in Matthew, my daily time. Again, another plug. That's, that's so awesome to read through the Bible in a year. If you have not started, if you didn't start on January 1st, I encourage you to do so today on our app, Bible app. You can, you can go through. We have a reading plan for the whole year. You can get one year Bible in there. It's awesome to see the Old Testament and New Testament. It's all the Word of God. The Lord knows what He's doing. He knew what He was doing when He wrote the Bible, okay? Don't let people say, oh yeah, but brother, that's Old Testament, that's New Testament. Listen, it all coincides together. The author is the same of the whole book. 
And if you read through the Bible, especially like that, what I like to do is, like when I start out, I read, I like to read a couple in the old and a couple in the new. And it's amazing to see how it all coincides with one another. So if you look in Matthew 4, the devil did these exact same things to Jesus. You see it in Genesis, the two different people, to Eve and to Cain. But then you look at in, in, in Jesus' time of temptation in Matthew 4, he, he did the same thing. First, he tried to convince Jesus three times to sin against the Lord. A lot of y'all familiar with these verses. I'm going to read through them quickly. Matthew 4, 1 through 3. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During the time, during that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Number one, verses five through six. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and you will hold up. And he and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Number two, in verses eight and nine, it's the second time he tried to convince him to sin. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world, and all their glory. I will give it to you all if you kneel down and worship me. You see, three different times the, the, the enemy tried to tempt the devil. I mean, the enemy tried to convince Jesus to give in to sin. Satan was waiting, and not, he, so he tried to convince him, and then Satan was waiting, listen to this, for Jesus to fall to one of these because he knew that if Jesus gave in to sin, he would disqualify him from going to the cross to be the perfect sacrifice for us and ultimately to defeat the devil see the enemy was trying to take jesus out right away because he knew what was coming and he tried to he tried to convince him to give in the sin and then he was waiting to pounce on him that if jesus even gave in to one of those sins he was going to accuse him and knew that jesus would be disqualified so how do we as believers identify the couple of uh, uh, uh now that we've identified these couple of, of the enemy's schemes I want to give you a few ways to avoid and to overcome them. Amen? Number one, don't downplay God's word. Say that again. Don't downplay God's word. Look at Genesis 3.1 again. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, listen, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of these trees in the garden? Did God really say how many times have you heard somebody say, does the Bible really say that? You ever heard somebody, another, even a Christian, like, man, come on, does the Bible really say that? Who do you think is the origin of those kind of questions? Did God really say? See, now Eve, in Eve's attempt to set the record straight in the process, she actually belittled the privileges God had given her and her husband in several ways. She reduced God's Freely eat till you made. He said you can freely eat. She said we made. She downplayed it. She downplayed God's emphasis on the availability of fruit from every tree but one. She added not touching to God's command of just against eating, right? He said not to eat. She went on and said, no, God said don't eat or don't touch. You see how as the enemy started trying to mess with her, she got it twisted too. She started downplaying and, and, and putting emphasis on the wrong things. And then she softened the certainty of death. She allowed the enemy by convinced to downplay the word of God when he specifically said, no, God, God didn't say that. That's not what God said. See, he downplayed the word of God. She convinced her. He convinced her and she went alone. But what's awesome is that Jesus did the total opposite, right? 
right? Every time the devil tried to convince Jesus to sin by twisting the word, Jesus stood on the true meaning and the authority of the word of God, right? Again, a lot of y'all familiar. I'm going to read these three verses, Matthew 4, 4. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, do not live, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said, no, that's not right. Don't, don't get it twisted. This is what the word of God says. Verse 7, Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. He corrected him again. Matthew 4.10, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I mean, we know Jesus is the living word, but he used the written word of God to set the enemy straight. He did not downplay the word of the Lord. He, he, he held true to the authority on, on, on what the word means, what the word says, and, and, and just held true to it. Again, today a lot of people have changed the meaning of the word of God or what it really means or does this apply to us today because culture has changed and all of that. Listen, it is Jesus is the living word and the Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away, right? Don't downplay the word of God. And I'm going to go step further. Don't let the enemy or anyone else downplay the word either. I'm not telling you to, to argue with people, but what I'm saying is that if people are trying to convince you that the word means something that it doesn't mean, don't allow them to do that, right? Stand on the truth and the authority of the word of God. Again, I'm not telling you to be confrontational, but don't let people sway you and change what you know deep in your heart is your conviction of God's word. Amen? The word of God is the same. And it will always be the same. It means the same thing. I don't, ma- I don't care what culture or even pastors or other people that have tried to, to, to make it different or politicians especially or whatever. You notice that politicians usually start quoting scripture when they're trying to get elected. You ever notice that? And it's like all out of context and it's all, you know. And then they get elected and it's just like, well, you was the same when I was quoting the scripture during the election. Now I'm like, all right, let me, let me stay away from that. Listen. Don't downplay the word of God, but stand on it and live by it. Don't downplay the word of God. Stand on the truth of the word of God and live by it. It ain't just knowing the word. That's why I pray every time I preach, and this is for myself, not just y'all. Bible makes it clear. Don't just hear the word, but do what it says. Apply it to your life. Live it out. Listen, and we start talking about evangelism and being a light. Listen, like they've said, you are the only Bible that some people will ever read. We got to live it out. Yeah, we can quote it and that's great, but we got to live it. We have to live what the scripture says. We have to know it. We have to believe it. We have to stand on it and we have to live it out. Amen. So number one, don't downplay God's word. Don't allow the enemy or anybody else to convince you that God's word has changed. Amen. Number two, don't play the blame game. I know this is deep here. This is, this is a crafty point here. Don't play the blame game. Genesis 3, 11 through 12 says this. God talking to Adam and Eve. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Man, man, man. Gentlemen, first of all, don't ever, don't ever say that. Don't ever try that. I'm just letting you know right now. Don't do it, especially in front of your wife. It's that woman you gave me, you know. Don't do it. Listen, rather than confessing, Listen to this. Adam blamed the woman for giving him the fruit and then blamed God for giving him the woman. It was a double blame game. He's like, man, I'm clean, Lord. 
it's that woman you gave me. It's her fault and you don't want to give it to me. So it's really your fault. We're laughing tonight, but I know and I've heard quite a few people that have blamed God for sin in their life. Matter of fact, the scripture says that people ruin their life by their own foolishness and then blame the Lord. That happens. Listen, we need to stop or don't play the blame game. Listen, I, I'm encouraging you not to live in blatant sin and, and to stay away from the traps and the schemes of the enemy. But we are going to mess up. I get it. We all mess up. But listen, when we mess up, the best thing to do, and I'm getting ahead of myself, is not to, to, to blame anybody, especially the Lord. And, and, and take ownership of our mistakes. Genesis 3.13. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So the Lord said, the, Adam said, it was that woman, and you gave it to me. It's your fault. He asked the woman, and when he said, what have you done? You know, that wasn't like inquiring information. It was more like if you read the text in the original language, it was a statement of horror. He was horrified at what she had done. He was greatly displeased, disappointed, angry. But, but, but as I studied that today, it said it was actually like a statement of horror. Like he, was, he couldn't believe what she had. What, what have you done, you know? As Adam accused Eve, Eve accused the serpent. The serpent did play a role and would be punished, of course. But that did not release Adam or Eve from their guilt. Listen, we must confess our sin right away and not try to blame it on others. When me mess up, Let's not try to blame it. Let's not get defensive. That's another thing. You know, don't blame it on others and, and don't, don't get defensive. Don't try, again, try to justify it. Listen, we all mess up. I know I mess up all the time, but that's one thing I try to do. You know what I learned? And for years, the scripture where Paul says, the one thing I, he said, or one of the things that he tries to do, he said, I try to live with a clear conscience before God and man. And for years, I used to think, man, God, that must be hard. Like Paul's almost like Jesus. Like he's trying to live with a clear conscience. He's trying to like not do nothing wrong. He's trying to live a holy life. He's trying to walk every day in a clear conscience. But that's actually not what that scripture means. That scripture means that what he was saying was when I mess up, I get it right before God and the person that I messed up towards. If I offended somebody, I ask God for forgiveness and I ask that person to forgive me. And then guess what? I have a clear conscience now. Yes, I mess up. We know we see Paul's writings like, man, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. And he's struggling just like we did, the great apostle Paul. But he said, you know what I do do is when I mess up, I ask the Lord to forgive me and I ask that person to forgive me. So Pastor Rob, would you forgive me for mentioning your boudin ball consumption? Okay, thank you. Right? Listen what Psalm says, Psalm 32, 3 and, and 5. This is the, 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 this is King David. I love this. He said, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. Look, you put an exclamation point. You forgave me and all my guilt is gone. I mean, look, again, this is a man that, that God says he, he's a man after his own heart, but we know David sinned. He messed up big time, adultery, murder, lied about it. And he, look, he tried to hold it in. He tried to say like, man, I, I you know, even the, the prophet called him out. 
And he finally confessed, but he tried to hide all his sin. And look what he says. Look at, look at what happens when we try to hold in our mistakes. I groaned all day long. My strength evaporated from me. The Lord's discipline was heavy upon us. Listen, the Lord disciplined those who he loves. And if we have sin in our life and we're trying to hide it, the Lord's hand of discipline will be upon us. Oh, the devil's after me. No, brother, it might be the Lord disciplining you. Yes, the enemy will attack you, but the Bible makes it clear that David, King David said that. But listen, how freeing. He said, finally, he gave up. I confess my sin. He said, I, I stopped trying to hide my guilt. Doesn't that go back to the garden too? What did they do? They sowed fig leaves to try to hide their nakedness, but those leaves could never hide their guilt and shame. It never could. They had to confess and, and get right before the Lord. And we know 1 John 1, 9. So I love giving the Old Testament scripture, New Testament First John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Man, we got to know, and I get it. I've messed up many times. I'm like, Lord, you probably get tired of me asking for forgiveness for the same thing, my same attitude, the way I talk, the way I do things. But the beauty of, of the Lord is that, man, his mercies are brand new every morning. He's long-suffering. You know, slow to anger, quick to love. He knew we would mess up. That's why he had to send Jesus. He knew we couldn't do it all on our own. But listen, but it's, it's that desire to to want to to stay right. Remember, this is a way we're trying to not only confess our sin to stay right with God, but to stay out of the traps and the snares and the scheme of the enemy. Because if you know he's waiting for us to mess up, if you when you do mess up and you know what, and you confess your sin before the Lord, it breaks the enemy's, uh, uh, basically his uh, what he has against you, you know, what he's holding over you, right? When you try to, I think part of that is, yeah, the enemy, uh, the, the Lord was disciplined in David, but hiding that sin and all of that, you know, it, it gave the enemy firepower, so to speak, to mess with him. You know, think about it when Jesus is talking about forgiveness in that parable, when he talks about if you don't forgive, you know, the, the guy that, that, that the king forgave this big debt and then he wouldn't forgive his buddy, you know, like $25 or whatever. It said, hey, turn him over to the tormentors until he's willing to pay his debt. You know, like unforgiveness. If we refuse to forgive somebody, the, Jesus made it clear we can be tormented by the enemy because we are refusing to, to confess our sin or to let somebody go. Y'all tracking with me? So, amen. So don't downplay God's word. Don't play the blame game. Number three, rely so you can resist. Rely so you can resist. I'll explain that in a bit. Genesis 4, 7. You will be accepted. This is God talking to Cain again. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Again, here's the picture again. Sin is a picture of a vicious animal lying in wait to pounce on Cain and on us. Either sin will dominate us or we will resist the temptation to sin. Listen, there's no neutral ground in this conflict. God makes it clear at the beginning. Either it will control you or you will subdue it and be as massive. Uh, there's no, and, and I know I've, there's no common ground. You can't have a pet sin. I use this illustration, y'all have probably heard it, but with the big cat illustration, I, I never feel bad for the people that get bit by these big animals. I'm sorry, you might think, Brendan, that's a lack of compassion. Well, they have a lack of common sense. I'm sorry, when you're playing and training a big animal and you're putting your head in the mouth of an alligator, I don't feel sorry for you. I'm sorry. Use common sense. It's a wild animal. It's not your pet. And again, I've used this illustration multiple times, but that's what we can do with sin. 
we can act like we can try to find a neutral ground with sin, then it turns around, bites us, pounces on us, devours us, and we wonder why we got bit in the first place. You can't. There's no neutral ground. Either it's going to control us or we can subdue it. Now, you can't resist, subdue, or master sin on your own. That's why the, I, I named this point rely so you can resist. James 4, 7, therefore, submit to God. The Amplified says submit to God and his authority. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you truly submit to God, you are relying on him, his power, and his authority that he in turn has given us, right? We're submitting to him. We're surrendering. We're tapping in to the power and the authority that we need to resist the enemy, right? Because Jesus said, I've given you authority over all the powers of the enemy, so there's no temptation, there's no trap, there's no scheme, there's nothing he can do to, well, man, I just, I gave in, he convinced me. But listen, if you understand, if you submit to God, if you rely on him, then you can resist. If you rely on, on his power, not just, I think I can, I think I can, I know I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, that doesn't work. Again, this is what Jesus did in Matthew 4, and look what happened. Look what it says in the third time that the third time that Jesus resisted the devil in Matthew 4:11 then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. He resisted him three times and exactly what happened is what James was telling us was going to happen for us, right? I don't James must, might, might he knew that story and he might probably remember the Lord or hearing about the Lord resisting the enemy in his time of temptation and the enemy fleeing. He said, listen, the same would happen with us as well. And love how it says angels came and took care of Jesus. Remember that the Lord is with you and will take care of you every time you go through something like this. Remember, we don't have to do it on our own. That song we sang, in every rise and fall, you are with us through it all, right? He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We, we, we're not trying to fight this battle on our own, right? That's why the, he says, listen, we are wise to his schemes. We know what's going on. The Lord's given us wisdom to see. To, you know, I think about it like this. Um, I love military stuff, and I watched these documentaries recently. I had watched a documentary on the Navy SEALs, and these guys have phenomenal equipment. And when they go on these night raids, you know, they have this night vision. And to, it, it's like just walking in pitch black to anybody else. But these Navy SEALs has this night vision on and they can see the enemy even in the pitch black. Listen, we have supernatural, you know, night vision to see what the enemy's doing, where he's hiding and how he's trying to mess with us. Amen. So we need to rely on the Lord, his spirit and what he's put in us that he's going to help us to see all those, those schemes, those landmines, those, uh, you know, all those, those booby traps, so to speak, that the enemy tries to throw our way. And then number four, the fourth and final thing, be ready with the word. Be ready with the word. We started at the beginning with the word. I talked about it. But be ready with the word of God. Remember three times in Matthew 4, Jesus says, and the scriptures say, the scriptures say, or it is written, some translation, familiar is, it is written, it is written. This is what the scriptures say. So he was not, he was ready, well, he was ready and used the word to resist the devil, right? We said that in temptation, remember, be ready with the word. The word is your only offensive weapon. If you read through the, 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 the armor of God, you know, you have the helmet of, of, you know, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, belt of truth, sandals of the gospel. Those are all defensive weapons. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is our only but most powerful weapon that we have. It's the only one. Going back to the seals, they have all kinds of weapons and gadgets. The Lord has given us one, and that's all we need. 
It's the word of God and in the armor of God. Of course, we have faith, our brothers and sisters, all that. But the word of God, pray the word, be ready with the word. But this was interesting. This is something that I caught just today and hadn't seen before that I thought was very interesting. So we know we got to be ready. A lot of us, you know, have read this scripture, know this, you know. But not only do we have to be ready to use the word in time of temptation, but, you know, we must have it on the inside of us and believe it so that we don't question who we are. Not only to fight and resist the enemy and be mindful, so we don't question who we are. Because listen to what it says. This is, this is awesome. Twice Satan said, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, he was trying to get Jesus to prove that he was a son. So not only did Jesus use it to defeat him, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus didn't have to prove by jumping off no cliff, turning no bread into, in, into uh, stone into bread or any of that. Come on, some of us after 21 days of prayer and fast, if we had that power, it's like, you know, turn that soup into gumbo. Like, all right, I might do that right quick. I'm hungry, you know. But he didn't have to prove who he was. Why? Because he knew. He knew who he was. He knew he was the son of God. But listen, we are all sons and daughters. If we know who we are, Children of the Most High God, we don't have to prove it to anybody. We don't have to prove who we are to anybody. And I can stand up here and confess to you that has been many, many times that I've, I've, I've I had to, felt I had to prove who I was by what I was doing instead of who I was or who I, who I, who I am, who I was, who I was or that don't, that don't make sense. So, see, I confess that don't make sense. I'm, I'm, I messed up. But really, you know what I'm saying? The only way you're truly going to know who you are is by getting the word of God inside of you and believing it. When you read the word of God, it bears witness. And then you begin, man, I'm telling you, it all works hand in hand. You begin to read the word of God. Then you begin to worship and you begin to pray. And the Lord just speaks to you and confirms what you read. If you don't know who you are, how God feels about you, he wrote you a 66-book love letter to tell you all about how much he loves you, what he thinks about you, how much he thinks about you, uh, how many are your thoughts towards me. Oh, Lord, they cannot even be numbered daily. You can't even count. We can't count how much the Lord is thinking about us. And his thoughts of good, not evil. You can, that's systematic theology. You take that scripture and you combine that with Jeremiah 29, 11, and what kind of thoughts does he think about us all the time? Thoughts for good, not for evil. It's the uh, plans for for good, not even for future and a hope. So listen, you need to be ready with the word of God in you, not only to, 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 to be mindful of the schemes of the enemy, so you don't have to prove to the enemy or nobody else that you are a son and daughter of the most high God. Amen? Why don't you go ahead and stand up with me? So as we close on that note, do you know if you're a child of God? And I've talked about this before, and I even hear in this, you know, I've even heard, you know, people use this term kind of loosely. And, and But the truth is, is, is what it says in God's word is that, you know, not everybody is a child of God. You've probably heard me say that before. But I just want to make that clear. The Bible makes it clear. We are all God's creation. Let me say this clearly. We are all God's creation, and the Lord does love everybody. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he loves every single human being on this planet. That's why he sent his only son. That he loves the world, and whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. 
But look what it says in John chapter 1 and verse 12, speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, where was God speaking of Jesus. Verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see that? Not everybody's a child of God. Only those that have believed in Jesus, which means to put their trust in him and have received him, received the free gift of salvation, then you have the right to be called sons in God. Listen, if if you let all the children come in here, I love all the children, babies, and I love all the kids, but just because I love every kid that I may see and play with, they're not all my children, right? I got four children. And you know what? I love children, but I love my four children differently, correct? And he wants everybody to become a child of God. But my question to you tonight again is, are you a child of God? Have you believed, which means trusted in Jesus for your eternal salvation? All of us one day are going to breathe our last unless the trumpet sounds and he takes us before then. But all of us are going to going to go the way one day of breathing our last here. And, and we're going to spend eternity somewhere. The Bible makes it clear. It's either heaven or hell. I mean, he starts out warning us about the devil, warning us about the enemy, warning us about sin. Again, Jesus talks more about hell than he does about heaven because he wants us to stay out of it. Jesus never created, or God never created hell for humans. It's for the devil and his demons. And again, God doesn't send anybody to hell. Again, like I said, God has done everything in his power to keep us out of hell. You have to step over Jesus to get there. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Brandon, I don't know. You know, I've heard God loves me and I... I don't know much about the Bible, maybe, you know, and I know a lot of core people here tonight and whatnot, but I never, I don't know everybody here where you at, but if you say, Brandon, I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm a child of God, and I want to know for sure. I want to I want to believe, I want to receive everything that he has for me, which is forgiveness. If we confess our sins, the Bible says, if we confess, repent of our sins. Not only confess, but repent means turn away from our sins. Turn to him, believe in him, trust in him, and then receive salvation, you will become a child of God. So every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Brandon, I don't know if I'm right with the Lord. I don't know if I'm a son or daughter of the Lord, but I want to be sure. I want to be in the family of God. I want to be secure for eternity. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around. And I want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Anybody say, man, I need to get right with the Lord tonight. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right. For everybody else, listen, I just want to encourage you again. Don't let the enemy convince you. Let's start our new year. Maybe you've been convinced. Maybe you had strong convictions one time about certain things that you knew was sin, but the enemy has convinced you to slack off in certain areas. Don't let him convince you. Remember, he's he's waiting to pounce. Sin is crouching at the door. So let's not downplay the word of God. Let's not, let's not play the blame game. We mess up, but we, when we, we fall short, let's confess our sins. Take, take full blame and credit. Lord, I messed up. I confess. Come on, let's do that right now. Let's, let's pray and ask the Lord and just say, Lord, you might, as I've been talking, there might be something that you, a sin, you know, you've compromised in an area. Just begin to ask the Lord right now. Maybe you've blamed it on, on the devil. You've blamed it on your spouse. You maybe even blamed it on a coworker or on another church member. Maybe you even blame God for the situation, a sin that you've fallen into. Come on, let's ask the Lord to forgive us. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us. We want to start this new year with a clean slate. And Lord, not giving into sin, not compromising. Lord God, not allowing the enemy to convince us. 
to give in to anything that we know you consider sin. Lord, I pray for your forgiveness. We confess our sin and we know you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord God. We don't want to blame anymore, Lord. We submit to you. Come on, let's surrender and submit to you. The Bible, Bible says that if we submit to him, resist the devil, then he will flee. If we rely on the Lord, then we can resist the enemy. And let's be ready. Let's get the word of God inside of us. Come on, just not to read it as to check off a box, but to get the word of God inside. So we know who we are, a son and a daughter. We can know beyond a shout of doubt. We don't have to prove to anybody. If you are the son, if you are a, a daughter of God, if you are, we ain't got to prove it to anybody, to the enemy, to nobody. But just get the word of God inside of you. Let your identity be in Christ. In 2018, let it not be what you do, but who you are, that you are a son and daughter of our heavenly father, the most high God, and that he loves you just as the angels cared for Jesus. He will care for you and be with you every step of the way. Father, I pray that over all of my brothers and sisters tonight. May we be wise to the schemes of the enemy. May we avoid and overcome his traps. May we be victorious throughout 2018 every aspect of our life and our marriages our home our work and everything we do that you would be glorified lord i pray give us the grace and the strength prepare us mentally physically emotionally for these 21 days of prayer and fasting and lord we'll be sure to give you all the glory and the honor and look forward for what you're going to do this month and this year it's in jesus wonderful name we pray amen and amen well god bless y'all y'all have a great evening see y'all sunday